John chapter 3, we've come as far as verse 14, where it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man should be lifted up, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We are in the midst of a conversation with Nicodemus and Jesus. It's the first really in-depth conversation recorded. Jesus had some things to say to Nathaniel. He had a few things to say to Peter. But this is the first really dialogue that we read through. And I believe he loved this man Nicodemus deeply. Nicodemus, of course, came out of his religious shroud, came to Christ at night and said, Look, we know that God is with you. We can see the miracles. And calls him rabbi. And Jesus said, You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. Nicodemus goes then with the first how. How shall a man be born again when he is old? In other words, that's impossible. You go back in your mother's womb, can't happen. Jesus said, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he said, it's like the wind blows. You hear it, you see the effects of it, and the leaves moving and so forth, but you don't know its origin, you don't know its destiny, you just see the effects of it. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Then he softens his question to, well, how can these things be? First it was, how can a man be born when he was old? Impossible. And there's an impossibility in his question. Now he's been touched, and, and I, I, we just have to imagine the demeanor of the Lord, the tone of his voice, the look in his eye. So he hears this again about the Spirit, and he says, well, how can these things be? And Jesus says, marvel not, but I said, you must, second must, you must be born again. And he says, are you the teacher in Israel? Think of your position. You're the theological phenomenon of Israel amongst the Jews, teaching the law, teaching the word of God. And you don't know these things. If I told you earthy things and you understand, how am I going to tell you heavenly things? I've talked to you about wind. I've talked to you about water. I've talked to you about the flesh. And you don't understand. How am I going to talk to you about heavenly things? No, you know, he said nobody is ascended, but he the first descended. And he's talking about himself. He says, who, who is in heaven now, remarkably. And then he answers the question. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so it's necessary in the state of the case. So the Son of Man must. So we have these two hows and two musts. How can a man be born again when he is old? And then softening, how can these things be? Jesus, marvel not that I said a man must be born again. Then verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must, no other alternative, the Son of Man be lifted up. And as we read through the Gospels, when the Son of Man is lifted up, it's always the cross. 
When the Son of Man is raised up, it's always the resurrection. When the Son of Man is taken up, it's always the ascension. The Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then, of course, 16, that we all know, for God so loved the world, and so forth. I wonder, you know, these two, as, as we listen in on this dialogue, first of all, you know, Nicodemus is asking Jehovah in human flesh, how? How can this happen? And the Lord, you know, what is in his heart? He's come, he's the lamb slain from the foundation of, his, of the world. Most men, you know, men die because they were born. He was born so he could die. He came for that express purpose. Over in chapter 2, when he's cleansing the temple, they challenge him, why are you doing these things? And he says, destroy this temple. Speaking of his body, he tells us. And I'll raise it up again in three days. Here, he says to Nicodemus, the son of man must be lifted up. In chapter 6, he says this. He says, you don't have to turn, just pay attention. (laughs) He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then in chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In chapter 12 at the house of Mary and Martha Lazarus, Mary poured out that expensive ointment. And Jesus says, let her alone against the day of my burying. Has she kept this? In chapter 15, Jesus would say this. He would say, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then in chapter 18, when they come to Gethsemane to take him, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom seek ye? So, you know, here's Nicodemus, this brilliant theological Jew with all of the credentials that he has, the teacher in Israel, saying to Jesus, how, how can these things be? How, how can this happen? And Jesus, I believe every day in his public ministry, every, he's living in the shadow of the cross. One of the Puritans said, It wasn't a high hill that he died on, but it cast a long shadow. And every day, you know, what was he thinking about 12 years old when he said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He's saying here, tear down this temple. I'll raise it up again in three days. Here he says, as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He says, the good shepherd, he lays his life down for the sheep. He says of Mary, she's anointed me for my burial. Knowing the things that would come upon him, he went with them. 
You go through the Gospels, the same thing you'll find in the Synoptics, and the whole time, his whole ministry is in the shadow of the cross. It's the reason he had come. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And here is this brilliant human mind saying, how, how, how can this happen? And think, you know, what are the emotions, if we can ask that question, of Christ at that moment? You know, when we see our first glimpse of him in the book of Revelation, he's the lamb with the marks of slaughter upon him in heaven. Again, 28 times in the book of Revelation, he refers to himself as the Lamb of God. It's his favorite title. And that's who he was here, standing with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is saying how, and and Jesus has to be thinking, if you only knew, if you only knew, you will know, Nicodemus. So he takes him to the book of Numbers. Nicodemus probably had the Pentateuch memorized the first five books. And there in chapter 21, there's a new generation. The older generation had died in the wilderness. The new generation are little chips off the old blocks. And because they run into a hard time, they start to badmouth Moses and badmouth God. And it says, then at that point, God allows serpents to come into the camp. And there's several different kind. You don't want to get bit by any of them. And there's high populations of them in certain areas. The Egyptians would wear sometimes a serpent amulet to keep them from getting bitten by a snake. Pharaoh had a cobra on his crown, Pharaoh's crown, something that was feared and recognized in this part of the world. Well, these serpents begin to come into the camp and bite the children of Israel. And it says many of them died. So they come back to Moses and said, we've sinned against the Lord, against you. Would you ask the Lord to be gracious to us? And it says that Moses went and prayed. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses, I want you to make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole, on a standard, And whoever looks thereon that's been bitten, he's not going to die, he's going to live. Interesting, it says, so Moses went and he made the serpent of brass and put it upon the pole. And it said, it came to pass then, what God said, whosoever was bitten did not die, but lived. So here he's saying to Nicodemus, You remember that passage, don't you? Because there was a picture of Christ when Abraham offered Isaac. There was a picture of Christ, the rock that gave forth water that followed them in the wilderness. There's so many places in the Old Testament where there's a picture. But this one is the one that Jesus picks out. And he says, remember that. How Moses lifted up that standard in the midst of the camp, I would imagine on a hill, visual to everyone, as God lifted up his son, as well on a hill. And Jesus was no martyr. You know, he's, he's going to try to say something to Nicodemus here. He's not a victim. It says, you know, as a lamb he was led, not dragged. He was led to the slaughter. He went willingly. It was why he came. 
And he's saying to Nicodemus here, it's like that. As that serpent was raised up in the wilderness. Look, there was no medical benefit in that brass serpent. There was no reason why a brass serpent would heal anyone who had venom in their system. There was no natural explanation for it. But it was a picture, certainly, of that old serpent whose venom is in the system of all men through sin and has brought about more death than these serpents in the desert. And interesting, you know, Lucifer in Ezekiel 28 is there in his unfallen state in his beauty. He's a, he's a marvelous, beautiful creature. And he comes to Eve to tempt her. And when man sins, God puts a curse on him. He's in the form of a serpent. On your belly you shall go for the rest of your life. And there's almost like this picture of this fallen being there. And on the cross, Christ is made in the likeness of sinful flesh. There's also a picture of of the loss of glory, in a sense, as Christ there dies in our skin. He dies for us. And there's no more logical, intellectual explanation for what happened on the cross than there is what happened there in the wilderness. Look, everyone who looked, it says, they were healed. You know that what they did then, if they felt that it's a fiery serpent, if they felt that heat, that fire coursing through their system, they were stopping, their breathing was beginning to stop, they were dying, and they looked to the serpent, and they were healed. What they did was they ran and they got their loved ones and their friends. They said, you need to look at this, just like you did when you got saved. You ran to your loved ones, ran to your friends, and, this is, and they said, oh, cut me a break, man. Are you crazy? Tell me, oh, I gotta, oh just Jesus, and then that's and they answer all the problems. You're trying to say, yeah. But it's different to be the recipient than it is to be the person who's thinking about it. doesn't say you, that you have to agree that you can be delivered if you look. It doesn't say you have to believe it's a reality if you look that you can be healed. It says you individually have to believe whosoever in verse 15 and 16 is both singular and the real translation is everyone every one it's a singular that's how Christ saves one at a time singular that's how they were healed in the desert and then they ran to get their friends they ran to get those and you know here's the interesting thing there was no natural remedy this was death uh, there was no anti-venom in a hospital close at hand. There was, there was nothing to solve. And the picture of man with his sin, God has scrutinized. There's divine scrutiny of that sad poisoning as well. And there is no natural phenomenon for that healing. That's why for Nicodemus, it, it, it is so fitting because he brought to the table all of the credentials Keeping fast days, keeping the diet, you know, keeping the law, circumcise the eighth day, 
the most pronounced, you know, pronounced teacher in the nation and so forth. And as he gets to this place, he says, how? He's got no answers. There's nothing to cross this gap. How can this? How can a man be born again? How can these things be? How can this happen? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you remember? Yeah. Moses lifted up the serpent. Yeah. And whoever looked on that serpent was healed, lived. The venom was gone. How did that happen? Because even in the wisdom, in the Apocrypha, it says it wasn't the serpent that healed. Brass serpents can't heal anybody. It was God who healed the obedient, those who trusted. And look, here's the interesting thing. If you were in that camp, maybe you're here today and, you know, people have tried to share the love of Christ with you. Understand, in that historical account, you could have been six foot away from that brass serpent And if you didn't turn and look at it, if your back was towards it and you remain like that, you died. You died. All God asked for was a look. You have to look for yourself. He could have made the serpents not bite. He could have made the serpents be in a friendly mood that day. He could have taken away their desire to bite or the poisonous aspect of their venom away. He didn't do that. He said, because there was a picture that was being painted that Christ would talk about. He said, you just look on that serpent. So look, some of you maybe, you know, raised um, like Nicodemus, goody two sandals, you know. And you never think, I never did anything wrong, I never did this. And, and then some people can think, well, th- th- he's closer to the solution. No, the gap is the same. Nicodemus, with all his credentials, said, how? How can this possibly happen? And the same thing in the camp. People had to look up for themselves. It was individual. And the interesting thing is the people that were, we're talking about over 2 million people, the people on the border of the camp, People that felt the farthest away. Maybe that's where you're camped. Maybe you feel the farthest away from a holy God. Maybe this venom of Satan is coursing through your veins and you're dying. Maybe you've ruined your own life or the life of your family or your husband, or your wife. Maybe you've been abused in a number of ways. Maybe you're just worn out and you're thinking suicidal thoughts. Those who were on the outside of the camp, maybe it was so far away, they looked up and thought, is, is that it? It's so far in the distance, I can't tell. My fever's burning. My, my, my heart is slowing down. I can't breathe. It didn't matter. All they had to do is look where they were told to look, and they were healed. The person in this room today that feels the furthest away from God's love, and Satan wants to keep you there, And he wants you to believe nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. 
You're all alone. God doesn't give a hoot about you because of your misery and your sin. Because of the painful situation that you're in, it proves he doesn't care. Wherever they were in the camp, no matter how far away they were, they looked up at that serpent and something supernatural took place. There was no natural explanation for it. It's ludicrous. You mean you just look at this and it neutralizes the venom, the poison that's in my soul, in my body? That's what he asked for. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, look, it's probably hard for you, Nicodemus, to take hold of this, but all your schmaltz, you know, all your stuff, all your credentials leave you just as far away as as the person on the, the, the outermost you know, parts of the camp. And, and that, no doubt that's hard for him, but I have to imagine the look in Christ's eye and the, the love in his voice and the, the tone of what he was saying, the, the shadow of the cross hanging on top of him, knowing specifically why he came and what he would face. It hung over him every day in every miracle and everything he said every month and every week and every year and every hour and every moment. And he knew that he would hang there for Nicodemus as well. And he said, Nicodemus, you're going to have to cross a chasm in faith. You're going to have to believe something is yours, not because you earned it, not because you kept the law, not because you were worthy of it, not because you were good enough, not because you, you, know, you can't believe, well, I'm too bad, I can't have it. He said, no, this is in faith. You have to believe. Believe there is the sense of trust, to trust someone, to have knowledge of, to have reliance upon, and to have commitment to Christ. Just as that serpent was on the pole, he says, the Son of Man must no other way, no other alternatives. Divine scrutiny found no other means in time or eternity. The Son of Man must be lifted up. You know, in one sense it's wonderful because I realize I can't add to that. I can't improve on that. You know, Jesus, when he died on a cross, would say it is finished. He didn't say, yeah, 99% done here. I need a little help from my friends, you know. No, there was nothing we could bring. There was nothing we could add. This is the center of what he's saying to Nicodemus. There was no logical explanation why people that were poisoned and they were dying would look at a brass serpent on a pole and live. There's no logical explanation for that. There isn't anything that works in our brain that can take a hold of that. But Jesus came because he loves us and he knows he can get hold of our hearts. And he knows he can display the love of Almighty God on the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. And he wants that to be plain, certainly to us, but to Nicodemus as well as he's putting this before him. It's interesting. Charles Spurgeon, as a young man, 15 years old, 
couldn't get to his church because there was a snowstorm and it shut the whole area down, a blizzard. So he went to a primitive Methodist church that was close to where he lived, and he sat in the back. There were only three or four people that made it to the church. Because the pastor couldn't make it, one of the deacons got up, and he read this verse from Isaiah. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is none other. Isaiah 45, verse 22. And the guy didn't know how to preach, didn't know what to do, so he read it again. And he kept reading it over. Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be saved. And finally, here's Spurgeon, 15, sitting in the back. He said, young man, have you done that? Have you looked at the Savior? You look miserable sitting back there. You know, <laughs> that's a way to present the gospel in a friendly manner. You know, he said, you look miserable. Have you looked to the Savior? He loves you. And, and Charles Spurgeon melted. He disintegrated. He dissolved. He called on the Savior, and his life was changed forever. Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, be ye saved. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Nothing about this world. Look, our brains are jammed with, laugh, you can give me the list, you're laughing. Our brains are jammed with social media Facebook, which I don't do, Twitter, which I don't do, and my brain's already crowded. You know, media, the playoffs, the economy, vaccinations, prejudice, bigotry, politics, war. This stuff is jammed. We're jammed with this stuff. And in the center of everything, in the midst of the elders and in the midst of the cherubim, And in the midst of the angels, and in the midst of time, and in the midst of eternity, there's a lamb with the marks of slaughter upon him. That's in the middle of all this. All this passes away. All this blows away like smoke, human history. And, you know, the, the question is, do we look to him, and is the poison in our soul negated? Because he bore it all on the cross. God had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or do we enter death with our poison and then for eternity we suffer with that burning? That whosoever would believe on him would have everlasting life that would not perish. That word is terrible. Christ is is using it in an eternal sense. Would not perish. Would not perish. You know, as we look at this, Martin Luther said, verse 16, for God so loved the world, which we're not going to get to today, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, everyone singular, that believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Martin Luther said that's the gospel, that's the Bible in miniature. When he took his last breath, Luther, he was saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
Whosoever believe in him shall not perish never. And he needed to say it because he didn't get everything right. He, he did a lot of anti-Semitic things at the end of his life. He didn't have it all right, but he knew. He knew there didn't need to be logic or intellectual exercise for God to have what he wanted with our lives. We are his image bearers. We are bearing the venom of the old serpent. It has infected us, our thoughts, our attitudes, the way we live, our behavior. It has poisoned our hope. It has poisoned our attitude towards God. It has poisoned man's attitude towards his fellow man. It has wrought destruction, immeasurable. And then Christ steps into the middle of all of that. the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the victor, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the eternal God, and says, look unto me and be saved. How, Lord? We'll talk about that later. Now, look unto me. You start there and be saved. You know, I always tell people that they argue with their relatives and friends about a prophecy or this or that or creation. I said, no, no, don't start there. Start with Jesus. You got to get him to Jesus so the light goes on. Once the light goes on, you can talk about all these other things. You need to get them to Jesus. And look, you know, I think here's Moses and he's called the servant of the Lord. And God says to him in verse 9 there, I think, in, in chapter 21 of Numbers, he says, Moses, you know, God says, do this. And it says, so Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on the pole. It wasn't because Moses read Numbers 21. He didn't say to Aaron, this is my favorite chapter. Wait until you see what happens now. You know, he none of that. M Moses just moved because he was the servant of the Lord. And he made a brass serpent and put it on a pole. Because God said anybody who looks at it, they're going to live. Moses didn't say, how? Explain that to me. What is it going to do to the venom in their system? Are the snakes going to start biting? Are they going to get on the snake highway and leave the camp? You know, what do you mean? How is this going to happen? If they get bit a second time, can they look back again? What did the children of Israel, we find this during the reign of Hezekiah, had become idolatrous, which means the children of Israel took it with them into the promised land. Were there other times in their journey when they were bit? Was the serpent on the pole still around? We don't know. We don't know any of that. But this is a great exhortation for us. Look, young ministers, old ministers, this is a good exhortation for us parents aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, teachers. There is a time when God says, make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. Doesn't make any sense. How's that going to do anything? There's no logic to that. How is that going to solve the problems of the world? Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and everybody looked at that serpent was healed of the serpent's bite, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish. And if I be lifted up, he's going to say, I will draw all men to me. We have all kinds of influence depending where we work. We have credentials. Some of us lack credentials. <laughs> you know, we, we're, we're involved in life, whatever level, how far away from God we think we might be or how close to God we think. None of it is sufficient. There's no natural remedy for the human problem. And we have to simply do with our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our spouses what Moses did. He just made the serpent and put it on a pole. We just have to present Christ to a lost world. There's anything else. There's no natural remedy. Our problems are not going to be, you know, solved in Washington. They're not going to be solved at the voting booth. They're not going to be solved in a laboratory. They're not going to be solved in a university. Somebody's got to lift up the serpent on the pole. It says Christ has lifted up this world's problems one at a time. Men, women, boys, girls, grandmas, grandpas, one at a time, people's lives are transformed because they for themselves look to Christ. Then they go back to the greatest hymn, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Then we come together, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, that's us. Then all the rest falls in place. We're going to have the musicians come. I'm going to do this. If you have never come to Christ, you need to do it today. Lift up your eyes and look. You have to do it for yourself. Nobody else can do it for you. The Bible says flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. You may be in your mom and dad's will, and you may get the cuckoo clock, but you ain't going to get their faith. You're not going to be a Christian just because they were Christians. It doesn't work that way. You have to make that decision for yourself. Let me talk to you. You know, here today, fentanyl, heroin, alcohol, pornography, murder, however far away you think you are, you look out the door of your tent at that one on the cross, and he saves and he heals. And it doesn't matter how far away you think you are because the goody two-shoes right up front is just as far away as you are. This is the one remedy. So simple that he says a child can receive it. So simple. And if you don't know Christ today, we're going to worship. We'll sing this last song together. I encourage you to come. You know, Jesus said, no man, no woman, no child can come unless my Father draws them. We're going to ask you to come and stand down the front here to ask Christ to be your Savior. Not anybody else's. Yours. And he says, when one sinner comes, all of heaven rejoices. It's what he put on human skin to do. It's why time rolled out. It's why the, the, the whole program is waiting for you. 
You, not your wife, not your friend. You, you, as we worship and sing this song, you have to hear him speaking to you. Forget about me. You'll hear him speak to your heart and tell you that he loves you and that today you need to make that commitment to Christ. And you come. We want to give you a Bible, some literature to read. Let's stand together. Let's pray. If a friend brought you, they'll say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. It just gives us an opportunity to talk to you alone, give you something to read, have a quick prayer with you. Father, I know you've overheard. We look to you in these things. And, Lord, the depth and the beauty and no doubt in the ages to come, we're still going to be learning about the things that are in front of our hearts and minds here, Lord. Lord, we think of, Lord, how, Lord, longingly you want to speak certain things to our hearts and our lives, and sometimes we're so reticent, Lord, that no one's ever loved us the way that you do. Help us to grow in grace, Lord Jesus, and in the knowledge of who you are. And, Lord, we do pray for any that are here that have never taken the first step, Lord. They've only had religion, like Nicodemus, and never relationship. They've never come to you, Lord Jesus. Let them do that today, Lord. That's your work. We put these things before you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.